Welcome to episode 163 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with our good friend and adventure cyclist, Ben Wilkins. It was easy because he's injured. He was unable to escape, and so we captured him and talked to him about lots of cool shit for an hour. Talked about design systems and engineering and being a designer who builds things. Motorcycles. Uh, personal injuries, motorcycles, and some motorcycles. It was a lot of fun. We hope you enjoy it. Before we get into that, I want to thank our two sponsors who made this episode possible. First up, Wayno. We just got back from hanging out with them in Portland, and it was super fun. I had dinner with Hallie and Linda. I tracked you down using your GPS location to encounter this dinner with Hallie and Linda. We had dinner in the park. What can I say? Wayno is just the raddest group of humans doing the raddest group of bunch of work uh they straight up donated 10 grand to this anti-homelessness thing at xoxo yeah that's a good company hallie's just good he called me out on uh snowpiercer being a rorschach test for how evil you are so that was pretty cool (laughs) wait what happened have you seen snowpiercer yes yeah he called me out Uh, about what i said that maybe the main guy wasn't so evil and he said that movie was a rorschach test for how evil you are and you failed (laughs) (laughs) anyways uh wayno is a digital agency here in san francisco and new york and Reykjavik, doing incredible work for clients you know and love uh people like dropbox and google and reuters and uh, airbnb and on and on they have been cranking out incredible work on their rebrand, which I'm super stoked to follow on their Twitter and Instagram. They just shared new business cards they're working on that have mm, just the nicest colors. Part of their rebrand is Gene Ross's face. He finally joined as they're rebranding. Yes. Uh, of course, that's on their Instagram. Uh, but they're sponsoring the podcast because they just want you to check out their stuff. You should go to their website. It's wayno.co. That's U-E-N-O dot C-O. They have awesome work really cool case studies an amazing team an amazing team who is looking for more people to join yeah and we love them so yep just go to the website get inspired follow their stuff uh of course if you want to follow along with their rebrand check out their instagram their twitter account we're gonna have links to all that in the show notes but the main thing is go to wayno.co that's u-e-n-o dot c-o say hi to the team and if you do apply to work there tell them we sent you our second sponsor once again managed by q so I was at XOXO. Most of my stories are going to start this way for a while. And I was hanging out with John Buddha, the guy who created Simplecast. Uh-huh. And I was telling him about how one of the things I thought was really cool about this campaign specifically was that JT is on our Slack team and said, if you don't want to go click a link, you should just go talk to him and he can tell you about how the stuff works. And like he can talk to someone who wants to go work at Managed by Q. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, what's the company called? Like I just said, we have this cool campaign right now and the guy's in there and whatever. And he goes... What's the company? I'm like, managed by Q. He's like, oh, I know them. They take care of our office. Well, would you look at that? For Cards Against Humanity and huh. cool boxes. I thought that was cool. So what's managed by Q? It is like an operating system for your building and workspace. Physical space. That's right. That you do work in. Right now, hundreds of companies in four cities trust managed by Q to handle everything in their office from catering to IT to cleaning to plumbing and office supply management. One it's- of those cities is Chicago, where John Buda works at Cards Against Humanity. Turns out. It's a great company. They're doing great work, but they're sponsoring because they want you to join their team. They're looking for brand and product designers to join them at their headquarters in New York City. Uh, And of course, they're willing to relocate the right candidates. They just raised a bunch of money from folks like Poor Capital, Homebrew, uh, RRE Ventures, and 
Google Ventures. In the most recent round. Uh, You get to work with Daniel Burka. Daniel Burka, one of our favorite humans, is a design mentor on the team, uh, works with Managed by Q Weekly. The company is founded by two designers who believe that design is a core asset to the company and a key differentiator in this industry. Managing physical space uh, doesn't sound super sexy, but somehow Managed by Q has made it an easy, incredible experience, and they want you to come help them take it to the next level. Again, brand and product designers reach out. They take care of their employees. Everyone from software engineers to office cleaners at Managed by Q uh, gets access to equity and healthcare and full benefits. They care about people. They want you to join them. You should go learn more. Go into our Slack team and talk to JT White if you're like on the fence at all. Otherwise, otherwise, you can just go to spec.fm slash MBQ, which stands for Managed by Q. That'll take you to their careers page. You can read up on all the jobs, see what the requirements are. Again, they're in New York City, but they're willing to relocate. So you should learn more at spec.fm slash MBQ. Thank you once again to Managed by Q. And with that, let's get into episode 163 with Ben Wilkins. Okay. Uh, I am Benjamin Wilkins. I am a design technologist at Airbnb. Uh, They made up that title when I joined the company, I'm pretty sure. How do you interpret it? What is a design technologist? Uh, I think someone who um, can both code and understands design uh, or understands code and does design. I don't know. Why not a UI engineer? UI engineer is more focused on production code. We're working on design systems and enabling design. Um, We're working to make our designers, both production designers and product designers or experience designers. So you're building the technology for design. We are trying to. Um, (laughs) It's it's interesting. So we're we're a small team inside of Airbnb. It's me and John Gold uh, and Luke Carter. Solid team. My hyper-talented counterparts Mm -hmm. at Airbnb. My background is in design and I taught myself to code and went down that rabbit hole and have been slowly clawing my way back out <laughs> ever since. Uh, they're like, oh, you can, you, can, you can write code? Write more code. I'm like, shit, <laughs> fuck, <laughs> gotta stop this. Well, you're not helping yourself by putting that on your Twitter bio. Uh, design and code design and engineering at airbnb i don't call myself an engineer i never call myself an engineer really yeah wait uh oh. he's a technologist duh <laughs> no 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 design I, and technology at airbnb i think i i think i call it, say design and code at airbnb oh. um oh. i engineer kind of implies some level of professional certification uh, <laughs> of I, which i have none <laughs> well okay most engineers don't have certification right uh, i don't know like maybe Engineers most, are like a specific yeah. thing that requires higher education of a very specific type. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I'm Canadian too. and uh, So you can't be an engineer. In, you're, you're no, precluded. no, no. no. In, in Canada, as like an engineer, if you're like a civil engineer or like a building engineer or anything exactly. like that, you get a silver ring. Uh, and I've had some Canadian engineers who like have the ring be really offended. When people call them say, engineers? If you say you're a software engineer, they're like, Pfft. Show me the ring. Show you're me like, the ring. I'm like, uh, my dad was an engineer. Uh, he he has the ring. I could probably steal his somewhere. Look, I totally stole this argument from uh, John Syracuse, who's like, "Yeah, you're not engineers. Like engineers require specific certification and usually like deal with people's lives being in danger if they do their job poorly." <laughs> no, it's it's not that arguably I arguably software is that. Yeah, exactly. Um, arguably, there are, there are plenty of software engineers who are absolutely software engineers. 
I'm just like a curious kid who keeps on uh, learning shit and uh, trying to put that into practice. So I'll trial and error. I'm like the guy gluing popsicle sticks together and like, building skyscrapers. Um, <laughs> and that's still what I do at Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they give me popsicle sticks, I build things. <laughs> um, no, I, I always, if people want to like talk about my software building credential, I'll call myself a developer. Um, but very rarely an engineer, mm. even though business cards might say that, or I'll have that title pushed on me by HR and job offer letters and stuff like that. But now more, yeah, design and code. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to design school. Me either. Me either. That's Who goes to design school? <laughs> Gross. Designers? No. Um, design school is fine. Design, yeah, no, design school is a completely credible path. I had to teach myself about typography the old-fashioned way of pirating Illustrator and tapping through all the fonts. Classic. <laughs> Illustrator Classic. for typography? Jesus, he doesn't know anything. No. Moving on? You want InDesign for that? <laughs> no, I, 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 I was listening. Oh, God, I, I used InDesign too. Early prototyping with InDesign? Click-through mocks with PDFs? What? I listened to Jeannie's episode, and in that you kind of go into like the the three ways that people become designers, Mm -hmm. um, which is forum signatures, uh, band websites and Neopets. (laughs) And I was, I was in the band band category. Um, so started the model holds up. Yeah. The model holds up. We can call this the design details theorem or something. Uh, everyone I talked to is like, Oh yeah, got started designing band posters. Uh Yep. Me too. When was that for you? Actually, it's a, a bit of a false positive because I started doing band posters a lot later. I, w- I got started and introduced to design in high school. Um, I was in a subset of Santa Barbara High called the Multimedia Arts and Design Academy, which is that was high school in high school. What? Yeah, super rad program. Um, I was lucky enough to go to. High I school. didn't go to art school, but I- <laughs> but in high school I took a bunch of art classes and was taught to use computers and Photoshop and all of that. Sure. Um, yeah, no, I went to Santa Barbara High and they have the the academy. It was like a small honors program for multimedia arts and design back then. They taught us Photoshop and like three D software and gave us a bunch of extra art classes. And then I went to college and did none of that for a while. What'd you go to college for? Uh, I double majored in sociology and molecular biology. What? What? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. These are two things that you don't hear very often. I think I I have like this habit of kind of chasing the interest of the moment and then sometimes getting stuck on a path. Um, I was... Yep. (laughs) What? (laughs) Brian's just nodding away. Let's come back to that, buddy. Um... (laughs) Yeah, biology was like one of those things where I was like, man, this looks seems like a practical major and it's super interesting and there's an infinite amount of knowledge that I can pursue. And I was like, well, maybe I'll go to medical school. And I like got my EMT certification and responded to my first accident and realized that I didn't really like blood. <laughs> <laughs> That's a rough way to find out you don't like blood. <laughs> uh, I was doing rounds in the ER too. And I was like, everyone in here just... No, no, I don't want to do this. This is sad. This is really rough. Um, But I still graduated in biology. And then I was like, you know what? Fuck biology. I don't want to work in a lab. I don't want to go to med school. 
I don't really like being in the ER or like in an ambulance or any of this. So that's that career path is closed. I ran far enough down and uh, we're going to stop that. So pull the ripcord. I'm going to play in a band and bartend. Um, and then that's when I started making band t-shirts <laughs> and posters and nice. websites. What did you play? Uh, guitar. Nice. Yeah. What was the name of your band? Perfect Machines. Uh, that's enough information that you guys can go and look up music <laughs> embarrassing 2004 uh what other kind of music is there it's just <laughs> it's just yeah. the entire like music genre can be combined into embarrassing 2004 music yeah, the music go. genre uh-huh uh, <laughs> the genre the genre of 2004 um yeah but yeah perfect machines and that was my life for a couple of years band posters out of necessity out of necessity, uh, who else is going to design them? Right. Um, Not the lead singer, obviously. <laughs> yeah. No. Super talented. He was also... <laughs> also didn't have time for band posters. Uh, no, he no, was a killer guitar player, a killer, killer singer, um, still playing music, actually. He plays in a Bay Area folk band, um, which I briefly played banjo for. Oh, cool. I learned, taught myself how to play banjo uh-huh. for a minute there. I was like, how hard can it be to play banjo? I can play this instrument that has strings. That's another instrument that has strings as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah, like, we played in a band called Perfect Machines together for a while. Cool. Just nerded out and harmonized c- guitars and yeah. Yeah. What did you want to do at that point? Like, were you thinking long term or? No. No, I, I think I was enjoying being 22 in San Francisco and... Uh, bartending and playing guitar. Yeah. So what happened after two years? Um, after a couple of years, I uh, decided that it was time to get out of San Francisco. And in doing that, I sold my motorcycles. I also work on old motorcycles because what else is there to do? Sometimes you need to digital detox. And so I sold three of the motorcycles I was working on uh, and all of my guitar amps and basically all of my possessions, put the small remainder in storage and put together enough money, barely enough money to kind of just head east until I came back around to the same point. I did kind of around the world, Europe, Southeast Asia, Mm -hmm. uh, Australia, Hawaii, Mm -hmm. Did that for about eight months and then came back to Vancouver, got another bartending job. And then I was like, I'm pushing 25. I should probably move into um, a more responsible Do a a job thing. Do a job thing. It's about time to do a job thing. Yeah, I did. I had this kind of, well, I've been bartending, so I have no marketable skills. But I'm pretty good at this designing computers thing. Uh, I can make some dope band posters. I can (laughs) And Who needs band posters? Yeah, so I ended up getting this office job with the soul sucking company. Um, doing, Classic. Yeah, you know when you when you're like, well, fuck. I, I have like this philosophy where you just kind of like throw all your effort at something and make it happen. The trick is to try harder than everyone else. Uh, so I got this job like uh, designing solutions for like a CRM system for an insurance company. It was 
It was, Tell me more. <laughs> oh my God, it was awful. Um, but it did give me the opportunity to kind of get a mark on my resume, which is like, mm -hmm. hey, you're competent. Um, mm -hmm. And then after I did that soul-sucking job for a little bit, I moved back to the Bay Area. I was in Vancouver and did my penance for that by working at a nonprofit out of Berkeley called Citizen Engagement Lab, which did a bunch of political organizing. And I was working as a developer and designer for advocacy websites. How did you get to the developer part of that? I taught myself through all my effort behind it. And uh, I was working at it's that- trying harder than everyone else. No, well, like why? Probably not everyone else. Um, but uh, I was working at that previous company and we didn't have anyone who could write JavaScript. And I was like, how fucking hard can it be? <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> surprise, so surprise. We're still trying to find out. <laughs> oh God, it's so hard. Um, but- yeah, I, I like there was no one to write it, and like finding competent developers mm -hmm. is difficult, as we all know. Um, and me having a baseline level of competency, I was like, oh, I'll teach myself JavaScript and CSS, and that was like kind of white right in this web of renaissance of web standards and stuff like that. So I like dodged the bullet on having to deal with IE6 and like uh, backwards compatibility. <laughs> this uh, renaissance of standards where we don't have to deal with the hard stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my God. This web renaissance of easy standards. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love easy standards. Um, no, I, I was really lucky that I that I kind of missed that. I, like, I, ha I like got just the cusp of it. So I remember when like you couldn't round corners in CSS. And all the like IE hacks where it would be like an underscore before a rule or oh, like, yeah, like an asterisk yeah. or whatever. So yeah, something that would somehow make this apply in IE7, I, but not yeah. in like, IE6 couldn't read it, but then IE7 couldn't read the next one. Like it's ridiculous. Conditional comments and uh, yeah, yes. conditional comments. Oh God. <laughs> so um, good. Yeah. So I, I, I've moved on to like doing advocacy websites. I worked with a bunch of nonprofits, Color of Change, which is like uh, African American advocacy group, and Ultraviolet, Ultraviolet, which I did the branding for, which is embarrassing in retrospect. It's like bright purple. Um, it kind of says it in the name. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. No, I mean, it was kind of looking right at the problem. And <laughs> uh, I, I at least was able to like kind of talk them back from the ledge. They wanted like this toxic purple. And I was like, no, that won't print. <laughs> like, let's get, let's, let's get like a color that will actually. There's your baseline level of competency. Yeah, exactly. It might be embarrassing, but at least it wasn't that purple. <laughs> at least it wasn't like burn your eyes out purple. Um, and a bunch of other things uh, like kind of climate change and uh, it was like that kind of feel good stuff. But it, while, while I was doing that, I was also commuting over the Bay Bridge every day because I lived in Lower Haight. Motorcycle. And, yeah, motorcycle over the Bay Bridge every day. And one day I almost got in like three accidents. Like I, I literally like remember tucking my shoulder under the back end of um, a big like 18 wheeler truck mm -hmm. as I like dodged through a car and I like got, I got to work and just kind of let it out of sight and like opened my email. And like there was a recruiter email that was like, Hey, from Riviera partners, like, are you open to exploring new opportunities? And I'm like, seeing as I don't want to die in my commute, um, I yes. <laughs> will absolutely explore some opportunities. And the opportunity that I got was actually a really awesome op opportunity, uh, which was as a front-end developer at One Medical. It's a good spot. Oh, man. I actually, I, I don't work at One Medical anymore. I love One Medical. I'm like a huge fan. 
Uh, Weren't you just saying like you couldn't get a doctor's appointment? I was like, you should use One Medical. <laughs> I, I, no, have you I, heard of them? <laughs> have you heard of One Medical? Yes, I, I still use One Medical. I couldn't get a doctor's appointment with a specialist, an ortho uh, specialist. Got it. Because I smashed my leg. Yeah, well, um, let's let's come back to that. We'll come back. That's to a that. whole other story that we need to really get the details on. Um, and so I got this really cool uh, job at One Medical, a really small product development team with. One of my now mentors, uh, Dave Hodgkins, was the CTO at One Medical, like best best boss I've ever had, minus my current boss, of course. <laughs> uh, Blink twice if you're safe. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, His current boss, Alex Schiefer? Not directly, uh, kind of like one one Got level it. to Alex. My current boss is Adrian Cleave, who is the head of design operations at Airbnb, and then I work with Alex all the time. Alex is rad also. Cool. But I got to work on designing and implementing prototype medical systems, which kind of blended this background in biology, which I had written off as completely useless, with this design and code skill set that I had acquired Mm -hmm. over the years since writing it off as useless. And... Got to work with some really talented physicians and really talented designers and really talented developers. Learned about startups and like kind of better and not just like me hacking at design and hacking at development, but like Mm -hmm. kind of professionalizing myself and made some like professional connections that I still leverage to this day. And then I was like, cool. After a couple of years, I am a talented individual. A couple of years is a lifetime though. Yeah. What made it was his name, Dan? Dave. Dave. Dave Hodgkins. Uh, what made Dave the best boss? I, I'm i always fascinated when people are like, this was the best manager I ever had. Why Why was that? I don't know. You ever have a, You ever have like one of those people you work with that like no job is too small, like everything it seems, mm-hmm. like they'll, they'll tackle everything with enthusiasm, whether it's ordering food so the team can do better or just like checking in to make sure you're doing well and also taking a genuine interest in your career and your trajectory. And like, yeah, he, he had, he had that quality and it made it seem effortless. And also he kind of had this rhythm of process to him where everything was predictable. It was never like a fire drill or anything like that. It was on Thursdays, we have our meetings and we kind of run through our objectives and see where we are and see how we can make sure that we're hitting them quarter to quarter and uh, week to week and day to day. It was like this this level of consistency and mm-hmm. also like the, the, his entire job was making you better uh, and then taking, I'm, I'm not like the most organized person. What? What? I kind of, I'm not sure if you've gotten this as like this meandering story of how I became <laughs> a designer and developer, a design technologist, but yeah, he, he just ha- he had this quality which just amplified you. Hmm. Uh, you have those coworkers who are your peers, but it, it's pretty rare to find that in a manager. Yeah. I want to know more about like how they do that. Like, is that a personality trait or can managers get better at that? Or is that seen as not being genuine? Is it innate to be a good manager? I don't think it's innate. I think, I, I think like nothing is innate. Nothing about what we do is innate, mm-hmm. right? Like, we we work with technology like we haven't evolved to work with technology uh i mean yeah 
debatably, I guess. <laughs> Our prehistoric ancestors foresaw the day. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a nurture thing, right? Like, yeah. Not nature. And I think that um, it takes a level of genuine humility. Like, there's a, I think in becoming a manager, often people think I'm a manager because I'm better. I've progressed. Uh, yeah. But it takes like... Uh, being a good manager is a different skill than being a good independent contributor. Significantly different. And it shouldn't necessarily be uh, part of like a career progression. It should be, I'm a people manager because I want to be a people manager. I'm a people manager because I care about the people I manage. Um, I have a humility. I understand that they are good at their jobs. And what can I do to to really elevate these people? Mm. Are you interested in that? No, I think that I would be, not that I don't have a genuine... Uh, <laughs> nope, generally don't give a shit about other people. <laughs> uh, all my coworkers, whatever. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think that I, I love building things. I love I love kind of poking at things and seeing how they work, um, but not people. Like, I, I like people. I, I want to elevate my coworkers, but I want to do that more as like a, a coat, like... A peer. A peer, mm-hmm. yeah. Like... We were talking a little bit about delegation and understanding people's strengths and everything like that. Understanding your own strengths is one of them. I'm not organized, even though like I have a huge amount of respect for that uh, process mentality. I think that I, I, I kind of always want to be the, the person who's uh, kind of putting the parts together. Okay, cool. So what did you do after One Medical? I bounced startup to startup, um, started a small consultancy called This Is After, and freelanced. I worked with um, an adoption company called Binti, uh, helped them get their MVP up and running. I worked with a predictive diagnostic uh, company called Neurotrack, which did diagnostics for early onset Alzheimer's using eye tracking. It was super cool product. I worked with a big data company called Weeby, um, all kind of in this hybrid role of uh, product design code. And then one day I was at a birthday party and one of my friends who uh, is like a mutual friend of this person whose birthday it was, came in and was like, hey, you should come get lunch at Airbnb. Uh, I later learned this was a very deliberate move. She she was like, I hear you're unemployed. And I'm like, not really. I'm just uh, pretty busy. <laughs> I'm offended. <laughs> uh, I, I was like mildly offended, <laughs> but I also like kind of played it off because or like didn't really pay too much attention because I... It probably wasn't meant that way. It was, uh, yeah, I was like, I, I think it, as a recruiter, her, it was her job to be like, oh yeah, you have like time on your hands. And I was like, yeah, I actually have time on my hands. Like who doesn't like free lunch? And you get to see like the inner workings of a company. Yeah, I'll come to Airbnb. And then I went and got lunch and they, uh, and then she kind of like steered me towards a recruiter. <laughs> uh, I kind of was in the middle of this contract. I was like, I'll interview in like a month. And if you guys give me an offer, then I'll consider accepting it. Uh, and I guess you guys know what happened. I considered it. You didn't make the cut. I didn't make the cut. They're like, uh, apply again. In- not organized enough. <laughs> not organized <laughs> enough. Does not work well with others. Um, no, I, I, they made me an offer. And I was like, I hadn't considered this, but uh, of the companies that, 
I was interested in the Bay Area. I, re- I really like this kind of blend of uh, digital products enabling offline experiences. Mm-hmm. One Medical uh, falls into that category. Uh, really, this how how can we use technology to kind of amplify ourselves and improve convenience and all of that? And Airbnb like fits that mold perfectly. And I actually really believe in the like I love to travel. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Um, we first met at an Airbnb. We did first meet at an Airbnb. Uh, I lived with you uh-huh. as part of our first meeting. Uh-huh. <laughs> we, that was fun. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Did some did some snowboarding, did some skiing. Uh-huh. Park City, or I guess Salt Lake City Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. God. And look at us now. Here we are, buddy. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> and I've just now learned the whole story. And then, uh, yeah, Bryn. I was... We were at GitHub, right? We were, yeah, we met at GitHub, uh, but we we already we already felt like we knew each other. Yeah, we'd been it talking was, about going to India together for quite a while, and I didn't get to go, and you did. I did, and look at how well that worked out. Yeah, can we just quickly pause and for people who can't see <laughs> explain it? Explain the state of the situation right oh, yeah. now. Now that we've brought ourselves up to yeah, current, we're, yeah, we're I, now present. I work at Airbnb. Um, cool. cool. I'm looking at your leg that has staples on it. Yeah, um, that is courtesy of my. Uh, Indian surgeon. I went to India and I broke my leg and then I came back. Yeah. It's, it's, on a motorcycle. <laughs> it's pretty crazy how you broke it too. You're like swerving through the, the Himalayas and this boulder came crashing down. Yeah. You dodged you, the boulder. When, but you then... were, when you had asked about things that I don't want to talk about, <laughs> like I, I thought about this. Like I like, should, should I say I don't want to dr- talk about how I injured my leg? <laughs> you because... actually broke your leg. So for reference... <laughs> For months, we'd been planning this trip to go on a motorcycle tour of the Himalayas. Yes. Uh, it was you, your girlfriend, Vicky Tan. Yes. The Meg indomitable Robichaux, friend of the Vicky show. Tan. Also a friend of the show. A friend of the show. It was actually called the Claim to Flame Tour. It which, was. Which is named after her episode of Design Details. It was. I, I, it's because right around when that Design Details episode came out is when we were planning this. Yes. Um, my new accomplice, Meg Robichaud. Meg Robichaud. Uh, Jeff Smith, Jeff Smith, Sam Huskins, Sam Huskins, the talented and handsome Sam Huskins, and Aaron Thompson. So a handful of designers, and uh, Aaron is a developer. Um, designers and such, designers and such, all uh, all going to India to ride motorcycles. Anything for the grams, basically. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, anything for the grams. And- uh, I feel like I feel like when you ask a designer if they want to go to India and go to the Himalayas, like the first thing they do is like picture it in their mind, and they're like, "Prayer flags." How's the lighting over there? How's, yeah, <laughs> it's like you want to go to Iceland. <laughs> actually, <laughs> like the Himalayas. Actually, we need to wait. Yeah, yeah. We need to wait. Not this time of year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the golden hour is actually like twenty minutes right now. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, and a bunch of people were like, heck yeah, Bryn included. And then I had to bail. Oh, then you, had, you didn't... Something, something, job at Figma, job. something, something. Responsibility. You know. Trying so, to launch a product is hard, man. I don't fault you, Bryn. Yeah. But I just expect you to come through next time. <laughs> um, we're, so plan- you- we're planning replacement trips. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so three days into this motorcycle trip, all the way up in the Himalayas, 14,000 feet. I tripped and broke my ankle. <laughs> <laughs> or not my ankle. I broke my leg. I like literally tripped and broke my leg. 
Uh, when I heard that you broke your leg, I was like, oh man, he must like slid into a tree or yeah, something. I was like, oh, this can be such a bad story. Laid down story. the bike on top of him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Then I heard the real Drinking story. and tripped. <laughs> I didn't lace up my boots and rolled my ankle and tripped. And, <laughs> and uh, now there's crutches propped against the wall. You have staples in your leg. Uh, I have staples in my leg. Courtesy of an Indian doctor. Uh, who did a fantastic job. Oh, yeah. Um, Dr. Sen. Highly recommend him if you're ever <laughs> if you ever need if you're uh, ever in Chandigarh and need surgery in Chandigarh and need a tibia reconstruction, doctor with Sen. a titanium pin. Yeah, uh, so I have titanium in my leg. Uh, you're basically some Wolverine. sick leg jewelry. Going back through airport you're basically security. Wolverine. <laughs> I'm, I'm slowly like one body part at a time. Like, yeah. Break your hand so we can give you claws. Oh, that'd be sick. <laughs> I'll break it for you, bud. Oh, please don't. No more breaks. <laughs> the money makers. Mm. <laughs> I, in the last couple of years, I, I've broken so many bones that like my doctor legitimately asked if I should like had had my bone density checked. I'm like, no, but I don't think that's the problem. I think I just keep on doing stupid things. Drinking and tripping, drinking and tripping. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's a great, ep- that's a great episode title. Oh, drinking and tripping. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, Tripping in the literal sense. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds just like... Yeah. Lace up your boots is really what it comes down so to. So if you take away anything from this episode... It's not it's not worth it for like the... the as cool know, as you like, look without oh my God, laced up boots. I looked rad. I had like a, the picture yeah. the, that I posted with my half-laced boots. Yeah, no, it was a dumb mistake. And I... Missed half the trip. As what was it like? Fifteen hours downhill or something like that. Oh my god! No, I, I'm like trying not to relive that part of the trip. Um, so tell us an excruciating detail how it went. Excruciating is the right word. <laughs> excruciating is the right word. We were at fourteen thousand feet, and we had ridden three days into the mountains. Uh, the nearest regional hospital was a four-hour drive on dirt roads without any anesthetic or painkillers or anything well you were drinking whiskey you're fine God, I, <laughs> like, I, there is no there's no one who is ever fine in that like i don't care how tough you are like you will tear up in that situation i was i was like holding my legs so the bones didn't grind together oh uh, uh, why'd you have to you you said excruciating right, details. More details more details more details please. um and then I got to I got to the, the regional hospital where they gave me an injection uh, of some fantastic painkiller, put me on a wheelchair with no tires. It was just like on the rims in the hospital floors. <laughs> Low profile wheelchair. Uh, no, Could it was you like in that thing. <laughs> no, that's what I did because I was on painkillers now. Uh, all I all I think it probably gave me too much or something like that it was I, I, I was like crying from the pain so it was probably good but yeah i uh had no tires on my wheelchair so i would like wheel myself down the hall and then like pull on the tires and do drifts <laughs> they just mopped it was perfect they're like this fucking guy <laughs> you're like Woo, give me some more of that <laughs> i mean they took forever he to probably get- shouldn't do this he's gonna break his hands <laughs> oh man this uh, guy break bones over anything God. Uh, yeah, no, I was waiting for like four hours for x-rays. Um, they put like a half splint on, and then it was another 12 hours down the mountain to a real hospital. Did they tell you not to motorcycle? I'm pretty sure there was no way I could get on a motorcycle at that point. Well, like the when the person put the splint on my ankle here, he was like, 
you're done motorcycling after this, right? By the way. Like, you're just done? Oh. I'm like, is my motorcycle here? Can I ride it out? <laughs> I was on so many painkillers, I had, like, no comprehension of the fact that I couldn't ride. No, no. I think that in India, it's basically a given that you're going to ride a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, everyone rides. Um, almost everyone. Like, there are a small subset of the population doesn't ride, so I don't think it even occurred to the doctors to tell me not to ride. I think in, in the United States, we're we're much more concerned with safety and protecting ourselves. I didn't, I didn't ride a motorcycle to break my ankle. I broke it walking. Like, <laughs> I know that's like super fucked up, but like, Ben, I'm sorry. You're, you're going to have to stop walking from here. Well, if you hadn't been on a motorcycle trip, you would have been fine. I, I, I don't know if that's true. I might've like, um, yeah, I don't know. I could have broken it at work or something like that. I, we put all these guardrails around ourselves and, uh, then, they they may or may not protect us. I feel like they just make us less competent. Less Speaking guardrails. of guardrails, how about that DLS? Wow, oh, that, wow. That, that, there's a transition for you. <laughs> wow, that, yeah, no, I, I think feel like this is what you wanted to talk about. That DLS. Uh, Can this does this map? Is it is the DLS uh, a guardrails for for designers? I don't think so. I think the DLS is. I think the goal of DLS is to make product design like and feature design as fun as font selection. Like we're we're trying as to, fun as font selection. Like, wait, wait, wait. I I don't know. Do you do you not like fun? What do you do for fun, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> Sit at home on Illustrator and scroll through the fonts. <laughs> no, he's, he's gone to the individual glyph palettes now. Um, yeah, no, I'm deep in the open type palettes. Uh, no, I deep I, in I, the open type palettes. <laughs> Discretional ligatures, what? Uh, <laughs> what? I, uh, I I think that DLS is is this kind of f- a design language system. I, I feel like we really says it. the name on the tin. Yeah, it really does. I, I feel like uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign just stole our thunder by like releasing pantsuit. Fuck, so much better, so much better. Damn it, Hill. <laughs> Yo, I thought it was pretty awesome that they were talking about using their like CSS breaking classes as Trump classes. The, yeah. the, I guess they changed the name of it, but I thought that was pretty great. Like, you yeah. fucked everything up to get your way. Call it Trump. Great. <laughs> exactly. Trump classes with the important class. Yep. It's like someone shouting at you. What did, what did they rename it to? They're, they called them alterations? or Yeah. Yeah. Eh. That kind of works for the system. But yeah, it's a killer name. So DLS, Design Language System, just uh, a little bit of context. Yes. What, what's, for, the, what's the thing? And then we can talk about uh, that. So... Everyone just pause and go back and listen to Kari's episode. Mm-hmm. Kari uh, Sarnan. Uh, you know the number off the top of your head? No. Uh, no. Um, 152 so is my guess. That Kari sounds roughly correct. one of my numerous hyper-talented co-workers. And so the design language system, DLS, is Airbnb's kind of component library that we use internally. The idea being by constraining uh, what designers can do like we we simplify like the the unnecessary decisions like or like the mm-hmm. there's like a, a set of guardrails yeah guardrails they are great. it's um, not guardrails but it's guardrails earlier i described guardrails as making us less competent but uh, <laughs> do you want to do guardrails make us less competent well i'm just quoting man okay you are quoting and i think there there's two things there right there there are times times to break the system and there are times that uh having systems in place are really helpful Mm -hmm. dls hopefully falls into the latter category where we have a set of principles and patterns that govern how we do product design 
to maintain visual consistency. Ideally, this enables our experienced designers to move faster. Uh, Airbnb is an interesting product because the digital design is only part of the picture. It's all about what happens offline as well. So hopefully by kind of making margins consistent and typography consistent and uh, the types of UI patterns that we use consistent, we can build a better product that functions how you would expect and has all the functionality that's necessary to manage a trip, which can be a fairly high stress endeavor. If you're breaking your leg in India, if you're breaking your leg, I wasn't at an Airbnb, so um, maybe you should have been. Then I you went been. safe. Yeah, they would have had guardrails in place. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm not sure. Not sure if that would have helped. Um, Rules of the house: lace up your boots. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be my number one. <laughs> Use bootstrap. <laughs> uh, my number one rule: lace up your boots. Yeah. So, DLS, what do you want to know about? how I interact with it. What? Yeah. How do you think about it? And like, I often wonder how far can it go? Like, yeah. The- so we talked a little bit about this, I think. Um, but there, there's like this twofold evolution to DLS, right? Which is like this kind of like, as we enable new product capability, we're going to need new components to, to be included in the system and kind of keeping a canon canonical uh, set of components versus an experimental set and everything like that. But there's also going to be this step change, like art directed as design trends kind of evolve or hopefully we don't end up with a dated system. Um, If you look at some design systems, uh, Bootstrap being one of them, like they don't just have Bootstrap one still, like they flattened it out and like... Ah, yes. (laughs) Ah, yes. The, The importance of less gradients. The way I think about DLS is we have a lot of tools for kind of tweaking type and tweaking shapes and doing vectors and all of that. But as you get into prototyping, we're, we're just kind of like living in this kind of exploratory phase of prototyping. We haven't figured out like what the right way to prototype is. Is it prototyping code with HTML or with uh, Swift or do you prototype in um, Principle or Flinto? Everyone does it differently, Framer. Um, and then like the jump from there to code. I think with DLS, we're hoping to, to shorten those cycles. And uh, theoretically, because it is this component library, you should be able to do drag and drop prototyping in code and uh, kind of have hybrid like the best of both worlds of those of those tools. Like designers get to work in the language that they like, and the output of that is code that uh, is our, usable. Yeah, our UI engineers don't uh, look at and be like, "Well, that's garbage. Let's throw it all away and start over," because they wrote the component code originally. Is there a barrier to getting the designers you work with to like prototype in code with the component library you've built? Yeah, there's absolutely barriers to that. Uh, Everyone has varying levels of comfort um, with writing code, or uh, everyone has varying levels of comfort with all sorts of different things. Uh, even within design, I know Brian, you're a coding designer. Uh, that's, but I can't do icons. That's not <laughs> that's not like reflective of of everything, right? Like, or, or, or of everyone. Um, some people see HTML markup and they're like, "What the fuck is this magic?" 
okay, probably not that many people. <laughs> but like, but then you, like, there's this cognitive barrier to jumping into JavaScript because all of a sudden you're dealing with Boolean logic and like loops, and you're like, it feels like high school math all over again. JavaScript is like the hardest easy thing I know of. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's like broken to begin with, and it's getting better, but. Like to use like the new hotness in JavaScript, you have to like. It took uh, me forever. <laughs> it took me a long time to figure out ES6 at all. Yeah. Oh my god! Like there's all this peripheral knowledge that you even need to do to like start yeah. writing JavaScript. Like when I when I when I learned JavaScript, like you like included a JavaScript file or like a script tag in HTML, and you wrote like alert jQuery. Yeah, or like or like alert or console log statements or like these things that are like would literally pop up like a native piece of UI in one line and now it's like oh you don't know about transpilation like all right I don't even know what that means (laughs) you don't have to (laughs) I mean you do if you want to write code now apparently Um, isn't that what Babel does yeah exactly you do know what that means polyfill polyfill I don't even know what that means but I know what it does (laughs) yeah no like there's all this because like the the web has to be infinitely backwards compatible. There's all this peripheral knowledge you need to do to even like start writing with one of the frameworks that is, yeah, I don't know. One of the, someone just tried to explain reducers to me and that sounds not fun. Like Redux? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that when they fixed my leg, they reduced the fracture. <laughs> <laughs> am, I, am I on the right track here? Is it, is it, is it what's <laughs> fixing what's broken about React? Is no, that- it is absolutely not. Uh, yeah, I, I think that... Nope, everything's still broken about React. <laughs> I like no, React. I love React, actually. React is kind of, I think, bringing designers and developers closer together. Uh, the, I was going to say, like, the Create React app yes. project that uh, Dan Abramov and some other people worked on is... I mean, it's it's a boilerplate, but it's a boilerplate in a way that, like, removes having to learn about Babel and Webpack and all this shit, and they, like, intentionally hide it so you can't find it unless you know what you're doing. Yeah, and that came out, what, like three weeks ago? Yeah, and they're already doing so much stuff. Like, I, I've been using it for prototyping all sorts of kind of j- things. You just create a little app and then manipulate a couple files and you're good. Just hearing about Webpack makes me uncomfortable, though, because yeah. like, everyone always talks about it in terms of it breaking. And it makes I think it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. So hiding it is a very interesting design decision for them to, to make, hopefully, yes. this sort of tool more approachable. Do we really need like another build tool, though? Yeah. In this case, I'd say yes. Really? Um, like everyone was writing boilerplates. Like I wrote my own boilerplate because I oh, I hated all the other boilerplates, and now I don't have to. Like thankfully, that boilerplate Wait, can go and die. What? Like just like the baseline. We're t- we're talking about the need, like all of this cognitive mm-hmm. overhead to even get started on modern JavaScript, and it sucks. Like you you shouldn't have to. Like having another build tool to at least like get you up and running with like a production level. ES6 app or whatever. Hmm. The new hotness. Can can we talk a little bit about that? Because I think the the scary thing for a lot of people and certainly for me is knowing how much uh, like institutional knowledge you have to have in order to start being competent is really scary. Like anybody can pick up some jQuery and be like, oh yeah, I'm coding. But to actually code takes so much more. You have to understand like what's happening with ES6 and how do you make that compatible on older versions of browsers, blah, 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 blah. Yes. Um, and that's just one example of all the, like the, this fringe knowledge that you have to build up over time. And that takes years for a lot of people. Yeah. And it, it's kind of this forever interplay between 
do you go and learn the fundamentals of like knowing what's going on under the hood or do you just trust the that that's going to be okay and focus on making your thing work in your browser using the syntax that you're currently learning and like all the tutorials are currently written in i don't know like i i I feel like the hurdle to get into web development, like you have all these coding boot camps and everything like that. And when coding boot camps first came out, like five years ago or whatever, there were ten week programs and or or something. And now they're like fifteen week programs because you actually cannot get to a professional level level of understanding even full time in ten weeks. There's so much going on there. Uh, and it, I mean, even I, I like luckily have this this thing where I get bored and I like look up how to do something new. Um, so I have this like forever learning. I'll like see a Medium post on React and I'll be like, oh, I'll just read that for fun. But it's a lifetime investment. Like learning to code isn't like, oh yeah, no, I'm going to learn to code this weekend. I'm done. I know how to code now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh shit, there's a new a new framework out. Like React, I don't know what the longevity of React is. It's awesome right now, but in two years, are we still going to be writing React? is or if we are is it going to even resemble what it is right now probably not that's Um, scary it is just gotta learn swift i don't know at a certain point like that's like why web dev is scary and i I haven't written well it's kind of scary and awesome or anything but like those things have prior art that's been around for a long time like objective c to swift they all have like a five-year lifespan like objective java java is still around and that is a testament I don't know. Actually, I don't. I, I don't really write Java, uh, but but it came out in the mid '90s or something like that. So 20 years later, uh, that's a pretty good C, pretty good run. But C plus plus C sharp. Yeah. So game development, I think, kind of because it needs that low level. Uh, yeah, you still write C, and Objective C kind of breathes new life into C. And I don't. I don't know. Like we're getting kind of below my level of knowledge. Well, here. like a lot of the people working in VR are using C-sharp, which is really interesting. Like all my design friends seem yeah. to be learning C-sharp. Yeah, C-sharp. Like the Microsoft stack? You, in order to use Unity, yeah, you do... It's you use C-sharp, C-sharp to like write the things and then JavaScript to script the things. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, but for you, like, what, how far do you go? Because you're a designer who can right. write javascript and code and like work on web apps to build systems like this but how far do you go like what's what's the threshold of where you're like okay i'm wasting my time to learn this new thing about programming or is that like the direction you want to go yeah so i think for me um because it's all in service to to design like i just kind of i try and limit myself to the ui layer and sometimes in order to make uis work you also need to have a back end that will feed up data so if I feel like I'm optimizing a computer science problem or something like that, um, I I can ask a friend or or something else. Um, but like the thing that keeps me uh, interested is making things work, like making things that I can see and touch and like interact with. And if it ever feels like I'm just manipulating data, then that's I've gone too far. And I, I still like have that mentality of like I'll start in Sketch. Like some people are like, oh yeah, I just design in HTML. I'm like. That's not me. Like I, I still think in terms of the the vectors and everything like that. And then I think, how can I make this work? And it's been interesting to like hear John Gold's thinking about like abstracting all of that. Where you, I guess declarative design is is 
kind of what he's coining, right? And like you give data to a system and the system, you declare what you want and the system creates it, right? Yeah, I mean, that man is years ahead of his time, I feel like. Uh, I, I love having a coworker that like pushes me to like expand my my boundaries of thought. Um, I, I think he's on to something. Like the idea where these designs are just kind of permutations of properties and your UI is a function of the underlying information. And if we know the information that is going to be fed into a system, we can derive how it should be presented. Well, that's content first design anyway, right? Like that's what we've been talking about for a long time. It's just like the next level of it. Right. And that's what we do as people, right? Like we think, okay, you need an e-commerce site. And so that gives us like an idea of what the pages are going to be or the UI components mm-hmm. are going to be, or you need a blog. And so you're going to need some way to like input information and you're going to need a rendering of that information. And you're going to need the images and embedded video and blah, 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 blah. Like we do that as designers. We, we arrange these complex data structures into kind of solutions that allow us to interact with them. Uh, we don't think about it that way, but that is, that is our function. Like, um, we take a bunch of requirements and then come up with a solution. We're way better at working with incomplete information or working until we hit a barrier of that information than computers are. Computers are like, oh, I don't have this information, so I, I can't like solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And because designers work on human timelines and humans work on human timelines, uh, we're much better at interacting with people who are like, I have this idea, it's not fully fleshed out, Let's kind of work through the problem together and interpretation. Yeah. And inference. Like that's something computers are particularly bad at, but humans definitely like are cool with. And like we do pattern recognition too. Like we, even though a a client or an employer or whatever might not say that you need error states for your UI, like from experience, we are able to be like, oh yeah, and we'll handle this and we'll handle this and we'll handle this. And it's kind of built into our mental model uh, when we're designing products that that's something that we're going to come up with and we apply those patterns over and over again. I still struggle with understanding how state is used, which I feel like it's like a basic concept. I'm just clearly not thinking about it the way that like react wants me to. I mean, I guess state is like such a a jargony word too. Like state is developer speak for, Oh, you don't even worry about it. Like, um, but it's, it's just the underlying data, right? So, a blog post has a state, which is the content of the blog post at that point in time. Um, as you write the blog post and uh, the article grows, that state changes. Um, There's also like hidden properties like published or unpublished or scheduled yes. or unscheduled. See, that's how I understand state. I just wasn't sure if it meant the same thing. Yeah, it's, like, it's total jargon. I think because data can mean so many, like data is such a generic word. State is kind of a snapshot of... Well, state can also be like an edit mode, right? Yes. Uh, like, is is editing, are editing? I don't know. Uh, yeah. React uses it in like the way the thing looks, right? Like, your well, it's, state... it's all a front-end thing, right? So like, it has to be the way it looks? Uh, I, I mean, guess it's... state can also be underlying like it's a function of the data the state it the state of the app is user a is logged in therefore 
the UI is this? Presentation based on whatever the state of the data is. Yeah, React has has kind of this divide of properties and state. Um, properties are kind of things that are passed in and then state is... Do they determine state? They may, like a property might be the state of a higher level component. But basically, if you think about active, true or false, like that's that's your state. It's like a piece of Boolean data or even like the title of a headline. Um, like, what's up? That can be your state. I don't know. The what's up state. The what's up state. <laughs> I don't know. That's yeah. the title of an article. You sit at this interesting boundary and like you work in the boundary between like the design of the thing, which we might think is like problem solving and and the way the thing should look visually and how we maintain consistency as well as the code side, which is like, how does this thing work and how do we enable handoff to let the thing get built? I, I would love to know a little more about like what it's like working in that range and like how you think of your role in that range. Like, Oh you- yeah, <laughs> this, is what, this is what we were talking about. Um, we were talking about kind of tooling right. um, and I was like, I was talking about how code is, to me, just kind of another tool that I can reach for, which is good at some things and horrible at others. Um, we're So we're talking about design tools and uh, kind of sketch being really good at drawing vectors and then expressing that Really in good, though? <laughs> really, Figma is really good at drawing vectors. There we go. Uh, we, have the, we have these tools that are good at kind of uh, establishing these visual constructs and like representing um, kind of mathematical artworks, which is vectors, where trying to express that in code is really difficult for a person. But repetitive tasks are really difficult in um, visual tools. And code is really good at like looping over something. Mm-hmm. The, the question about like sitting at this boundary, I, I feel like because I sit at this boundary and because, because I consider myself a designer, I just have kind of learned a tool that uh, not all designers reach for intuitively because you don't know how to use it. Like you could be in a woodworking shop and like uh, have have these multiple tools and you, you'll use the ones that you know how to use. And very frequently you can use a less than ideal tool to accomplish a job, but I, I've just kind of gone out of my way to become competent at, at writing code which is a blessing and a curse. Um, talk about kind of clawing your way back out of, out of the rabbit hole. People are like, oh, you can write code. You're an engineer. And uh, I'm like, no, no. Do you see a ring on this finger? <laughs> <laughs> Non-Canadians have no uh, idea. <laughs> I, I, I do not have an engineering degree. Wait, are I'm, you, you're not married? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, didn't no. graduate from college? Yeah, uh, I'm not an engineer. Like, I, 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 can, I can write code. And I actually had to like lay out visually for one of my managers, like you're kind of painting me on this on this spectrum of front end developer to back end developer, and really the spectrum I lie on is kind of like visual print designer to back end developer, and uh, I kind of like toe that line in the middle. Code code is really nice to reach for for some tasks. Prototyping, like prototyping and code, I love it, anything repetitive, like. If you're doing something manually on a computer, you're really not using that computer well. Like, yeah, I mean, or, or like I value my time. Uh, <laughs> That's I, maybe, an easy thing to say. <laughs> maybe I don't value my time because I taught myself to code. Uh, 
God, the hours. Oh, uh, the hours, yes. But it's like that uh, XKCD where it's like, if you do this thing X many times, you can spend this much time automating it. And code is a continual process of automating other things. Yeah, so it was like that inflection point. And, uh, and hopefully, like, we, we see how much, like, no designer would willingly go back to graphic design in the 1960s, like, where you... Paste up? Yeah, <laughs> using, like, stencils to, like... Uh, kind of you need like the whole um stencil set of of whatever uh type that you're you're trying to set or yeah like computers enable so much and amplify our ability so so significantly i kind of get to do that on like the day-to-day basis as well where i'm like okay we need to export all of these assets over and over again and as these designs change like can i script this um so that it takes 10 seconds instead of two hours. I think that what you're getting at is it's a tool and the trick is to know when's the right time to use that tool, yeah. what what tasks it should be used for. But I think the problem is the tool just looks really fucking scary and the yeah. tool takes years to get good at using. Like a table saw is a scary tool, right? Yeah. But I don't want to fuck this up. <laughs> <laughs> like if you use it wrong, it can like shoot something back into you, right? Yeah, no, but I, I mean, will like, die. I don't think code's that scary. And I, the whole like, uh-huh. <laughs> that whole should designers code, I, I think that's like a false dichotomy too. Um, what what type of designer are you? Like, do you want to do you want to work on design systems? Then maybe. Like, do you want to work on prototyping? Then yeah, it's going to help you. Is there? Are, are you, you a doing fashion any- designer? Are you going to like? Yeah. Yeah. Like, are yeah. you going to do something where having that knowledge will help you? Or are you doing something actively right now, which is a really shitty part of your job? Like, if you're doing a repetitive task that could be solved like with a little bit of code, then maybe like. Maybe like reaching for the command line and like understanding how the command line works. Yo, if you're doing anything with GIFs, use Gifsicle. Oh my God. It's command line only, but holy shit. Yeah. So like there's these tools that they haven't, like programmers haven't gone and built GUIs around yet, which yeah. are actually really, really powerful. And I, I know like some designers are like, why, why, why don't they just put it in a graphical format? And it's, the answer is just because it takes effort. Why don't yeah. Why don't you learn to code and like put it in a graphical exactly. format for yourself? Um, should design. And then if once you've learned to code, you don't actually want it in a graphical format anymore because yeah. it's not as nice. I think arts that, are cool, dude. I think that everyone should learn Git version control. Like even if you're using graphical Git or whatever, like version control is such a powerful tool uh, for your sketch files, for your designs, for whatever. And I, I think that like before you even learn how to code, learning Git will save you, uh, save you everything. Even you just all. the concepts, like yeah. branching, merging, like, exactly. Which makes sense. I mean, upstream, downstream. It will make to you be a better fair, collaborator. It's, it's hard. It's really difficult, but it will make you a better collaborator. Yes. Um, it will make you. A, it will make you better at like. It's like learning to save, right? It will save you time when you think you've lost work. It will make working in a team easier. It will make talking with your programmers easier. Right. I think to me, that's one of the more compelling things about something like Figma. And I think other people are working on tools to bring this version control concept to uh, the tools we're using like Sketch. Uh, Yes. And that feels like the next level up is being able to understand like there's a master and I want to duplicate it, make some changes and make sure it can go back into master without conflicting with what other people have worked on. And like right now the tool there's not a tool for that with sketch files, right? Yes. Uh, I think that that's it too. 
Like that's that's the that's the core of it. There have been, and there are new ones coming. Yeah, like, yeah. I think people are working on stuff, but that yeah, we've got, we're not there. We've got yet. friends working on it. Like, or it's coming. If you want to make a change, the idea that you can just like fork the current state of something and work on work on a branch of 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 the, of the work and make whatever change you want. And if you fuck something up, you can just discard it. And if what you build is awesome and should be the new baseline. You can bring it back into like the master branch. That's a really powerful concept. And so, yeah. Like the way I've seen it working right now is you have maybe like a master sketch file and someone just duplicates it and puts it in their folder. And then all of a sudden you're fucked because their changes are, you can't, yeah, or you can't realign the the stars on this one. It's like you've created two separate projects, two repos, right? Yeah, or you're you're syncing your your shared files on Box or Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever, and uh, you have two designers who open the same file and Sketch Auto saves it, and then you have conflicts and you don't know. <laughs> yes, ah, so and so's conflicted file from date. Yes, thank God. Uh, Isn't that the most valuable thing ever? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if the designers should learn how to code, but if you're interested, then I actually don't think the the fundamental concepts are that difficult. Just yeah, hopefully their better tooling comes around, like the Create React app. When's the wrong time to use code? When do you see designers reaching for for code, and it's like actually this probably isn't the right tool for what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, I, I think you see developers reaching for code and being like, oh yeah, I'll just mark, mock this up in HTML really quick. And the complexity of that can qu- quickly spiral out of hand. You you have like the idea of uh, let's prototype this feature and let's prototype it in code. Uh, sometimes that's a good idea. Uh, sometimes you get carried away kind of making it production ready when it really should just be a scratch pad. Like, right. If you think about the spectrum of fidelity, sometimes it's wrong to jump into Illustrator or Sketch when really you should be reaching for a A legal pad or your notebook. I feel like, to me, the biggest problem I have when I think of code as a prototyping tool is like getting way too far into the edge cases of like, okay, does this also work on all screen sizes? I should figure out how to make this responsive right now, as opposed to like, origami or um i can't even say framework because i have the same problem with frame but like uh origami where it's like okay i'm just moving a couple images for this one small interaction don't have to worry about anything else or yeah uh take a file uh mock it up at two sizes like your your dominant sizes and then figure out how that will eventually respond it kind of conveys that sense like of the viewport size versus the the design configuration and then use principle to prototype like a scroll or whatever. Cause you can quickly like get into like the user's authentication state or like, let's try and make this render from uh, a data file or whatever. And then you're like, Oh, maybe I should stock up a database. That's where like, I think framer gets a bit too deep into the process. Yeah. I it, think it prototyping looks, thrives it when ha- it's something small. I don't think it has to, but, but it because lends it's, itself Because to it's it. capable of it, it people lends will do itself it. To it right? Here, here's my problem with Fl- Framer, is that it simultaneously enables you to do anything you can in code and then cuts you off at the knees because everything is in one file. And also, well, you can you can have multiple like Includes, files. Yeah. But like it, uh, at least in Framer Studio or whatever, yeah. it, it really lets you kind of push your prototype to that uh, to that edge of wait i should have just built this the right way yes that's my concern is like it's so close to the code that i feel like i should just do it in code 
I found prototyping to become more helpful when I thought of it one interaction at a time rather than an entire system at a time. Yeah. Like if I jump into one interaction, if I jump into origami and I'm like, okay, I'm going to design the way this feature should work holistically. I'm going to totally fuck myself because then you're mm -hmm. managing a million layers. I don't know. But yeah. if I'm like, I want to see how this one page moves and maybe this one alert comes up easy. It's or, interesting. Or how does this thing feel like can do this that. interaction you that can I want to try? It's like new. Yeah. You do that in two seconds, record a video, stitch the video, but like framer. And when I'm writing in a react app, I get way too fucking high fidelity. I'm like, how does this scale? Yeah. If I have the abstraction, right? Well, What's we the also, data model? <laughs> we also work at, a, at companies that have a lot of resources to throw at these things too. And so the role of a prototype can be pretty convoluted. When your prototype feels so real that it feels like an app and every interaction is fleshed out, then it's very easy for like a manager or like an executive to be like, oh, can we just uh, merge in some real data and... Like, I want to see real user data in this. And you're like, oh, no, that's oh, basically shit. just like building the app now. <laughs> uh, actually, this is all just a facade. Yeah, it's like, can we just swap out these names? Like, or how does this internationalize? Um, <laughs> shit. Like, oh. Right. Um, so, like, the role of a prototype is really, really interesting. And I think, um, yeah, that's that's where prototyping in code becomes valuable. I think that's what's interesting to me about what Airbnb's done and. I, I haven't seen it in action. I've only read about the stuff, but I think you it's have like the air, cool. the air stream, air, air shots, air shots. Yes. Like I want to see this UI in every possible permutation, uh, both language, screen size and OS. Right. right but that's not a prototype. That's our, no, no, no. Yeah. that's our production app, sure. uh, which we have, this is, this is my team. So I get to like brag a little bit. Ooh. Ooh. Um, uh, we we script uh, all of the primary flows in the app and then uh, run those scripts in every language on all of our like simulated devices and then manually take screenshots, organize them and like render them into a UI so you can filter and like slice however you want. And that's like that's a really powerful tool, but it's not it's not a prototype. Sure, it reminds me a lot of like there's things like Colorable by Jackson Black where it just like. You give it a list of things and it generates all the possibilities. Yeah. It's super cool to me. And I think that's what John Gold is also talking about yeah. when he talks about declarative design, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a very the grid way of looking at things. But I think part of where I get stuck and I, I know other people get stuck too is looking at a design tool and saying, but can it also do this? And what we end up thinking is like, is there one tool that both helps us draw the rectangles and then populate the rectangles and also handle the logic of the rectangles when in fact uh, it's a nice dream, but you end up with really complicated tools? We're getting there, I think. Uh, That's how you end up with After Effects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, or Photoshop. Like, yeah. Dude, uh, those oh, learning After Effects is just the steepest learning curve. But it's like, ridiculous. But right now, okay, so do you think they should go together? Because right now I see like Sketch. I can draw a rectangle in 0.5 seconds. Mm -hmm. Code, a little bit longer. And then understanding the logic of how that's populated and documenting it, and then maybe adding interactions, that's a separate tool. So I have a, a, a subset of tools and then maybe like a text file for documentation, right? Yeah, I mean, if you think about the, we can draw analogs from other types of design, right? We have, we have kind of industrial design where you can build prototypes in cardboard before you actually mill the metal to to take it into CAD or what, 
or like take it into CAD and then mill the metal and like build a functional uh, like working prototype. But in industrial design, you have these one-off prototypes, which are in, incredibly sophisticated, right? You have concept cars, which are still like these cars haven't been productionized yet. Or like giant full, like full-size clay models, right? Yeah. But they, they build up to that over time. They start with sketches, then they move to small models, and they move to big models, and they move to concept cars, and they move to the actual production yeah. vehicles. And no one would say that there should be one tool to do all of those things. It, it would be like... I want my clay to also turn into metal. <laughs> yeah, so like the, these purpose-built tools are, have, have a place, but I do think that in those final stages of digital product design, where the line between code and or like production level code and uh prototype design like it's not that hard to visualize us clearing that hurdle and that doesn't mean like we're going to throw away our notebooks because we all have balsamic now no no one is going to do I'd rather that. have a notebook thanks <laughs> yeah everyone would rather unless you're a pm maybe i i feel like that boat has thankfully sailed uh where the kind of low fidelity wireframes um, when we were just like, no, wait, I can do that with a pencil. But I think that these tools, which already have a lot of overlap as purpose-built tools, we might find a tool that kind of fills that gap, like a something that does that, that final like polishing stage well. I know like Adobe is trying to do that with Adobe Design now. Did they rename Experience Design to just... Design. I think it's Adobe Experience Design, but they have a team internally that's also design? called Experience Design that I think became Design. I, I I thought they like released that rebrand where they like made XD to just D. D. Well, that was not like the product XD. That was their team XD. Oh, um, but, Keep it together, Ben. <laughs> but I, I I think that there there are like this is a little bit of ebb and flow in in this in this area, right? And. Right now we have these tools that are being built to kind of make it so the designers don't have to code. But if we get a coding language or like a set of abstractions that let developers and designers kind of seamlessly hand off or interact at at that level, then maybe all these tools like Experience Designer will kind of feel unnecessary where designers don't write code, but there was a time where like the HTML and CSS was the responsibility of the web designer uh, because of this convolution of front-end development over the last 10 years that isn't really the, really the same anymore. We've like expected more rich UI interactions. Um, Apple iPhones spoiled us. Mm-hmm. But maybe if we develop better tools for describing UIs in code, we can we can go back to that. Uh, we code our own designs. I've always coded my own designs as far as like web stuff. Like that's always been really hard for me to let go of. But there's a diminishing return on that. I think firsthand. I, I agree. I love doing that. But I think there's like a diminishing return to being able to on your time to do the highest quality. Yeah, because then output. you end up like me, where you, you like went way too far down the yeah, you coding can, path. You can go pretty far down. I mean, the coding path is pretty fun. Like if there was anywhere, oh, I, was gonna, if there was anywhere I was going to go deeper, it would be on coding. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You don't want to like get real good at letterpress or anything, go the other way? So I came from print and I don't <laughs> wish to go back. Well, that's, that's what I was saying. Is like we would never wish to go back to that kind of 1960 yeah. era of design. 
Um, I think that as digital product designers, like the ability to kind of dip your toe in that UI developer world is a really valuable and rewarding experience. Whether or not your uh, engineer eventually rewrites everything you did, at least like you got the spacing right. At least like you did like your earlier. <laughs> my like, margins are perfect. Damn yeah, my QA, like the fonts <laughs> render uh, in the way I want. And I, I got my designs. Like I'm delivering something that I know is going to be up to my personal standards in the final product. And selfishly, I feel like we should all strive for that. I feel like there's an underlying trust issue there, right? Yeah, and so that's why I'm hoping that like we can all speak the same language eventually, right? But there's also just like what we value. Engineers uh, really value like scalability and performance and uh, well-architected systems because that's kind of their job to do that. Where when we when we look at digital products, we think about usability um, and we think about kind of a visual consistency. And hopefully those those interests align in a way that we all ship a better product, but it's kind of the whole division of responsibility too. Uh, we're getting to be a little over time. Okay. Last question we always like to ask is, what keeps you up at night? Uh, what keeps me up at night? My restless mind. Um, right now, my broken leg. These are the easy answers. Now give These us the good one. Give us the good one. I actually sleep like a baby, generally. Well, I think the real question is like, what are, what are you worried about? Right? <laughs> what do I worry about? What's the big existential concern? What are you concerned about? Yeah. Uh, I guess how meaningful all this work is. Ooh, uh, that's a good one. There we go. <laughs> I Like, I, I love it, right? I, I love what I do and I love um, kind of waxing poetic about it. And then sometimes every once in a while I have like this 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 kind of break where I'm like, is this all frivolous? But... I like to think that that we're working towards something meaningful. Is that how you trick yourself? Yeah, I guess so. Or rationalize? Yeah, why not? Rationalization is trickery in a way, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that I really want to be doing good work. Uh, I, re- I really want all of this to be meaningful. I think that this this new focus on design and technology as like a force for the advancement of humanity is a, is a really interesting thing. I, I believe in it. I hope that we're not tricking ourselves in that sense. Me too, man. Me too. <laughs> I want to design UI for Mars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that That's would be pretty, cool, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, do meaningful work. And I think uh, like that's the responsibility of our industry, right? Like as, as contributors to this, we should all be striving to do meaningful work. Meaningful is subjective and that, that gets tricky, right? Yeah, so do meaningful work to yourself and hopefully that uh, aligns with... Yeah. Making what the world better. Ultimately meaningful. Well, theoretically, better people make better products to make a better civilization, I guess. Yeah. Theoretically. Yeah. Theoretically. The greater the parts, the greater the whole kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Part two. Until then, where can people find you on the internet? Um, on Twitter. Where you tweet often? I tweet infrequently, but it's a good place to find me. That uh, Ben Life, though. That Ben Life, though. Uh, on Instagram, also that Ben Life though, mm-hmm. where I post my Look at that unified brand. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> that that brand that I came up with that brand that life one though. time mm-hmm. uh, when I had drank a little bit too much tequila. Uh, <laughs> tequila question <laughs> mark? <laughs> Among other things, maybe yeah, that sounds um, like a quote. But yeah, for sure, something someone said is a drunk joke. 
All all of my um, all of my coworkers made me a card because I'm confined to my couch right now, and in big letters it says that Ben life though. Aww. Uh, confined to your couch and our studio. Yeah, this is this is my. Uh, I got out. Yeah, I got out for the day. <laughs> they let me out. <laughs> Vicky was so happy you put on clothes. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, thanks for hanging out, man. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Cool. It's been been tons of fun. That was episode 163. We had a blast hanging out with Ben and making that. This was the first one we recorded intentionally <laughs> at our one-week pace. And we got to hang out on the weekend with him and Vicky Tan. Ah, I just love being around them. Great people. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you did, hit us up. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. If you need more podcasts, go to our website, spec.fm. Uh, we've got nine shows on the network, all aimed at helping designers and, and developers level up. And three blurgs. Oh, and three blurgs if you don't want to listen to, to words and you just want to read them. Again, go to spec.fm. We hope you'll check out some of our other work. Before we go, of course, be sure to check out our two sponsors that made this episode possible. First up, you know them, you love them, at least you better. Because otherwise, Hallie's coming for you. Wayno. Wayno is building digital products for humans here in San Francisco, in New York, and in Reykjavik. Uh, they work with amazing clients. They're not trying to sell you anything. They just want you to go to look at their work. And you should, because they do dope, dope work for great clients. Uh, they write cool case studies on their website that are inspiring. Uh, their visuals are unbelievable. And they have such an awesome team that are fun to follow along. Also, it's pretty chill if you just want to like go work there and stuff. Yeah, they're hiring. If you go to wayno.co, that's U-E-N-O dot C-O, click the careers link in their header, tell them we sent you. And if you just need some laughs, go follow their Instagram and Twitter. We'll put links to those in the show notes. You should follow along and tell them what's up. Thank you once again to Wayno. Our second sponsor, Managed by Q, are also hiring in New York. Oh, Managed by Q is building an operating system for physical spaces. They've raised $42 million. They're working with hundreds of companies. They have traction. They have Daniel Burka coming in to mentor them every week. You got that Burka These traction. These are the perks. They have, they have traction with Mar- Daniel Burka. Yeah. It's the Burka Perka. The Burka Perka. Managed by Q is looking for brand and product designers to join them in New York City. And they want you to reach out. To learn more, go to spec.fm slash MBQ. That stands for Managed by Q. Uh, This is a design-focused company that wants you to take them to the next level. Again, that's at spec.fm slash MBQ. As in managed by Q. M as in... Mancy. Martha. (laughs) M as in Mancy. B as in... Nice boy. (laughs) B as in nice boy. Q as in... Queen C. Queen B. Because we were just watching. <laughs> we made that real hard. Because <laughs> we were just watching a Beyonce video. Thank you for cutting that out, Sarah. Don't. Thank you, Sarah, for cutting that out. And thank you to Managed by Q for sponsoring the show. We'll see you all next week. Uh, my my parents, being Canadian, uh, moved to England recently, not too recently, like 10 years ago. And whenever I talk on the phone with them, they are very English now. <laughs> How are your trousers? <laughs>
Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, hope I hope that's the title. How you trousers? <laughs> <laughs>